Thank you for having me, brothers and sisters. It's an honor to be here and serve. It's not every day you hear a man named Ali say that. But it's becoming more and more common. In fact, very common. I was born in the Islamic Republic of Iran. The Islamic Republic of Iran. Do you know there's a revival there right now? It's been going for a few years. I kept hearing about it from the mouth of different Christians across different denominations that know different missionaries in that mission field so far away. And I was reluctant to believe it. And I kept asking for the Lord, from the Lord, Lord, if this is really a revival, can you confirm that for me? And it kept being confirmed from one brother to the next. And what was interesting was the next brother that would give me an account of the revival in Iran would be more um, well-grounded, more a student of the word, and more liturgical than the previous brother. But his account of the revival would be more extravagant and marvelous and lavish than the last brother. I said, this has got to be of God. The last brother I talked to, I said, listen, brother, I'm hearing this is a great awakening. That's no joke. Is this for real? He said, oh, yes. He said, listen, Ali, the church in Iran is growing explosively. He said it has outpaced the growth of the church in China that we heard a few years back. He said, right now, God is saving people in the Islamic Republic of Iran, left, right, and center. He said, he said, I was just done speaking to a man whom they've nicknamed the Billy Graham of Iran. Hormuz, Hormuz Shariat. And they said, and here's what he said. He said, this man, Hormuz, says very plainly, he says, listen, right now, anyone can be Billy Graham in Iran. All you have to do is stand up and preach. The Holy Spirit is moving with that much power right now on the soil of the Islamic Republic of Iran. The very soil I was born in. It seems easy when the Holy Spirit is moving mightily, saving many in a great awakening. And we desire that for this city and for this nation. It is a good and godly desire. And yet as we wait and we labor and we see God work, it can be difficult. Some people seem impossible to save at times. I was one of these. I'm sure you were too. Not only was I born into a Muslim family in a Muslim country, my mother's last name was Muhammadi. She was a proud Muslim. She would raise me up to be extremely proud in my faith. I have a memory, though. Despite the pride, I have this humbling memory of a siren going off in Iran. And the siren would go off. I would look at my sisters. They would look at me, and terror would come over us and fear, and we would follow the adults. Everyone in the building was running and followed the adults as they ran into the basement, and we sat there in the basement. And the lights were off, maybe a candle was on, and we sat in darkness, waiting for the bombing to end. The Islamic Republic of Iran was at war with Iraq. Saddam Hussein was bombing Iran, and my city, Tehran, was a primary target. And these basements, any basement for any building doubled as a bomb shelter. And we sat in that darkness. And though we sat in physical darkness, it all too well depicted the spiritual darkness that perpetuated the region and even our hearts. That Islamic, that Muslim Shiite, Saddam Hussein, would kill Muslim Shiite in Tehran, Iran. And we sat in darkness, needing to see a great light. 
In Matthew chapter 4, the Lord Jesus goes out to these people, the Gentiles. In verse 12, when Jesus heard John had been put in prison, he departed Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the kingdom of heaven. Walking earth, at hand. He was the son of God. He is the son of God. And in chapter 3, John has baptized him and the Holy Spirit has descended on him. The son of God walks the earth and the Holy Spirit of God is in him. Two out of three parts of the triune God are now in one man. This is unstoppable power, friends. He can do anything. He will do many things to the amazement of many. And there's this great commission. He begins, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There are those who are sitting in darkness needing to see a great light. The light of the world has arrived and Christ will gather to himself followers to be faithful carriers of that light into the darkness. Now, who would you gather? I'll tell you in my foolishness who I would have gathered. I would have gathered Caesar. I would have said, Caesar, I've made you powerful. I've given you an empire, the Roman Empire. I put Israel, my people are currently under your jurisdiction and rule. You see all I've blessed you with, Caesar? Give me now your centurions, your men over hundreds and over thousands. Give me your best armies. Give me your greatest, most victorious legions. Give me the standard of Rome. I want powerful men for this work. I would have gone to Herod. I said, Archelaus, Herod, your father tried to kill me. I've forgiven that. If you give me your, your best mercenaries, emissaries, messengers for the carrying out of the gospel. Give me your gifted Caesar, Herod. Give me your strong, your powerful, your wealthy, anyone who has any means available to them. I want to call into this work, but you know, as well as I, everything I just said is the foolishness of this man talking. God doesn't call these kinds of people. It's rare. Who does he call for the great commission? And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. God calls the foolish things of this world. Do you feel disadvantaged in this divine work? Do you feel weak? Do you feel like you don't have the gifting? Do you feel like you lack your own power to do that which is required to do of God? Good. He didn't call such people. He called the weak. He called fishermen. These men would have had no position, no standing in society. 
They would have been in some way looked down upon for their trade. In fact, they would have stunk and rank of fish. But God qualifies them. And the command is simple. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets because in order to follow, sometimes we have to leave something. Now, this is difficult. You look at that scripture, I look at that scripture, and we might agree that fishnets are easy to leave. After all, they stink. And what kind of business is that? But here's the thing. You have fishnets in your life, as do I. And I spend a lot of my time before the Lord cutting the cords to these nets that I might follow Christ more wholeheartedly, wondering what more would God have me cut What needs to be cut from your life, friends, to follow Christ more wholeheartedly? This is the great commission. There will never be a greater task than this, a greater calling than this. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, I was a very proud Muslim. My mother raised me to be proud. Her last name was Muhammadi. Eventually, we came to the United States, and I was a proud Muslim in the midst of some New Yorkers there. And I remember growing up and my mother would warn me. She'd say, Ali, we're not in Iran anymore. There's Muslims here. And some of them, I'm sorry, she said, there's Christians here. Some of them are about their Messiah here in New York. And when you hear about that, Ali, I want you to shut your ears. You're my son. You're a Muslim and you're better than that. Mm. Damning words to tell your son. But she loved me. She felt I was protecting me. Yes, she said these things, and every time she said it, a coin of pride went into the slot of my heart. Increasingly proud I grew. I want to ask you, does it look like I'm becoming nearer to getting saved or further to getting saved? I went to work on Wall Street. I dropped out of school and got offered a job on Wall Street. I said, oh, this is great. I didn't even finish school. I became proud of myself there. Private school pride, Wall Street pride, New Yorker pride, Iranian pride. Help me God. This one's becoming impossible. You know, how often do we look at the odds mounting and it seems as though the father is sitting on his throne in heaven, waiting and saying, bring it. He does that, doesn't he? How many times did he do it in the Old Testament? Said, listen, this number, this army you have is too big. We need to cut it down so that he can be glorified. And that's what happened in my life. I became increasingly proud, seemingly more impossible to save. And I despised Christians. I hated you in my heart. I looked down on you. I started working on Wall Street. The financial meltdown happened. The hand of God was working, though I was not yet saved. God was leading me as a fish. God directs the fish. You don't believe me? Look at the scriptures. He says, children, did you catch any fish tonight? They say, no, but we fished all night. God says, try the right side of the boat. And he directs a harvest into their nets that they cannot even pull it into a boat. God directs the fish. Have your net out. Here's what happened in my story. The meltdown happened and I was told to leave Wall Street. Actually, I was asked to stay. I was promised the world great wealth. But God gave me a mentor, an Old Testament believing Jew. And he said, don't listen to these guys telling you to stay. Run for your life. This is a meltdown. We don't know who's going to survive this. And I left Wall Street. My plan was to go back six months later. 
I got on the internet, I applied for a job, and before I had left Wall Street, I got offered for a job to come out to Omaha, Nebraska to work for a financial firm out here. I'll never forget the conversation on the phone. They said, you know, we're looking at your resume. You work on Wall Street already. Would you really move to Nebraska to work? I said, yeah. I didn't know where Omaha was. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Turned out a friend of mine from the Air Force was living on Offit at the time. And the firm I was going to work for was out of Bellevue. Does God lead? And so my friend said, you have to come, man. Well, at least get to hang out. I said, okay, I'll take this job and I'll come for six months. I came and he left and went back to the East Coast. <laughs> we had to break our lease and he left. And so here's what happened. It's my first few weeks. I'm in Nebraska. I'm a proud Iranian, New Yorker, Muslim, all that horrible stuff, right? And I'm among lowly, meek Christians in the Midwest. Fishermen. And here's the pride I was operating under. Although I'm at a financial firm, as a broker, I'm looking down at people saying, I don't want to be friends with everyone. I know that they're all probably secretly farmers. <laughs> because you know that's wicked, right? But the, this was the pride I was operating under. Who am I going to listen to? And why would... I mean, it seems so inefficient. God, you brought him here. You directed this fish here. And here's what happened. I remember looking around at people, judging them by the outer appearance. And I was priding myself as a New Yorker I, I, that I was outdressing people. And I wasn't dressed half as nice as I am today out of respect for the Lord to minister today. But I was dressed with twice as much pride, not knowing God weighs the heart. That is where... God weighs it, not the outer appearance. And so here's what happened. I was looking down at people judging them. And I remember thinking to myself, they're all farmers, they're all farmers, and I'm dressed better than all of them. And then I noticed this one guy was dressed better than me. I had a problem with that. It's amazing what bothers proud people. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to outdress him the next day. And I tried to outdress him. I came to work the next day dressed better, and he'd outdress me again. And I tried it again, and he outdressed me again. I said, I'm losing, and he doesn't know there's a competition. <laughs> In fact, this is the point to which it bothered me. The whole point is God directs fish, and he has a sense of humor too. This is the point to which it bothered me. I looked at that guy, and I said, Ali, don't let it bother you so much. Look at his shoes, his belt, the color coordination. He's got to be gay. <laughs> this is honestly what I was thinking. Muslims, Muslims, Muslims have no disposition of love, a gospel of mercy, grace, and repentance toward homosexuals. That doesn't exist in Islam. They avoid them. In the Middle East, they kill them. And so I was thinking, write him off as gay and avoid him. And then here's what happened. I came out of the cafeteria that week at work. It was my first or second week. And I saw that guy. There he is, dressed fine as ever. <laughs> and I went over to his table and I said to myself, maybe he's not gay, I thought to myself. And I went to over to his table and I said, hi. And he said, hi. I said, can I join you? He said, yeah. I sat down. He was reading something while he was eating. I said, what are you reading? He said, oh, these are books about evangelism. <laughs> he was a fisherman studying his trade and proud fish as I was I ran right into his net
Is your God sovereign? Does he direct fish? His name was Thomas. He has a sense of humor. This guy had the same name as one of the 12. Thomas. And Thomas loved the Lord. And because of his love for the Lord, he loved me. Proud as I was. Unlovable as I was. He would minister and serve me as much as I didn't deserve it. I heard a preacher preach about this. I cannot outdo the words God gave that man. You know what that preacher said? He said, listen, we love the unlovable. We minister to those who we don't want to serve. We love and we serve. We love and we serve. And we earn the right to offend them with the gospel. And he offended me, this Thomas kid. He did. How would he do it? How would I hear anyone out? Here's how God led him. Remember, the scripture is clear. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Meaning to say our charge is to follow and his is to lead. Praise the Lord. He leads. Here's how Thomas was led by God through the Holy Spirit. Thomas would come up to me. This is very early on. Might be the first or second conversation. Thomas would come up to me and say, Ali, I really like you, man. I said, well, I really like me too. (laughs) That was my problem, in fact. And he said, I really like you. And I said, and then he said, in fact, I noticed the way you dress. I appreciate it. I was like, well, I'm glad you noticed. I might have noticed you dressing nice too. I didn't tell him he'd beat me in a competition. He said, Ali, in fact, I perceive you're a man of principle. Right and wrong matter to you. And I think you, Ali would appreciate this more than most people. Well, I probably would. What is it? And then he would quote the scriptures. It would come rolling off his tongue like the most beautiful poetry I had never heard. I'd studied Shakespeare, Iliad, Homer. I was, and I was a fan of the classical works, but I had never heard scripture like that. And it wasn't the way he said it. It was what was said. It was the word of God, which is Christ. And it had power. It would cut me to the heart. Every time I heard it, I would be cut to the heart. (gasps) But Islam and Muslims, they're about the outer appearance. A stoic facade of superiority on the outside. And so I wouldn't show him I was cut to the heart by the scriptures. All I would say is, hmm. Who wrote that anyway? You say, that was David. Ali, that was Solomon. Ali, I knew you'd appreciate that. Those were the words of Jesus Christ, my Savior. And so he would witness and he would love and serve me. As a New Yorker, you must not have a car. I kept my car in my parents' house who had moved to Maryland. In New York, you're always worried about where your car is. I didn't bring my car out here. I didn't realize you need a car out here. Thomas would give me a ride everywhere I needed to go. When someone gives you a ride, you're stuck in the car with them. (laughs) They can say whatever they want. They can speak of whatever they want. They're God. They can play their K-Love radio as much as they want. (laughs) What am I going to do? Open the door and jump out? (laughs) And so he would minister and share. And by the way, that whole thing, Ali, I like you, Ali, I I really appreciate you, and and then cutting me to the heart with the scripture and the gospel, that's a pattern we actually see in the book of Acts. In fact, if you were to interview Thomas, Thomas would say, I don't remember half the stuff I said to Ali. Most of it I don't remember, because he was led of the Spirit. 
Wasn't he something he came up with? And we see in the book of Acts, Paul stands before the Athenians and says, I perceive you're a deeply religious people. I've been wandering around the statues of these gods. They were idolaters, Greek and Roman statues. And he said, I've come to tell you about the statue of the unknown God whom you worship, but you do not know. Then he would offend them with the gospel. And so Thomas did and rides and all these things. And he would love me. And eventually I would become fed up with him. Right? Has anybody become fed up with you for the sharing of the gospel? I hope so. It's your commission here on earth. And yes, we want to be sensitive to God's leading and these things. Absolutely. But they're going to hate you at some point. They malign the master. How much more will they malign you? Right? And so I said to Thomas, I said, Thomas, you don't listen to me. I've been telling you, your God is the same as mine. Thomas, you believe in your Jesus and the Lord, and I believe in Allah and his prophet Muhammad. And I'm telling you he's the same. You don't listen. So because I like you, I've decided I'm ready to, to show you it's the same God and ready to test your God. So set it up for me. 30-day free trial. Let's get it going. Come on. Come on. He didn't like that at all. He went away bothered, but he came back encouraged. He had his Bible with him. He said, Ali, the Bible says, I shall not test the Lord thy God. In fact, Jesus has quoted it to the devil in the previous chapter. And Thomas said, but Ali, there's this one part of the Bible I went found just for you. I know you're a man of principle. You're not a, a cheap, empty talk type of person. When you say something, you mean it when you say you want to test God. I said, that's right. Who would say they're of cheap, empty talk? That's how the Spirit led him. And I said, so what is this saying? He said, well, I'll read it to you. Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse and test me in this and see if I do not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great there will not be room enough to take it in. My Wall Street ears heard that. And I said, Thomas, read that one again. That's a good test. And I said, now what's a tithe? Tell me what's a tithe. That sounds to me like teething. I have all my teeth, so this makes no sense. He said, no, it's tithing. And he explained the Old Testament principle of the law and all that. In this age of grace, we can give even more as God permits us. He said, Ali, you're not a Jew to be under the tide. And you're not a Christian, but you're serious about testing God. Here you go. God says, test me in this. That fisherman had faith. And I said, all right. So 10% it is. He said, you could give $20 and that'll be enough. I think God will show himself to you in some way. You're a money guy. Came from Wall Street. I said, no, no, no. 10% ten, tithe it is. What I didn't tell Thomas was that my mother had raised me as such a proud Muslim. She had said, Ali, you need to be a proud Muslim, my son. Proud. And Islam is about strength. And you ought to be willing to give one third of your income for the cause of Allah. So when Thomas said the tithe was 10%, I thought to myself, I get to test Thomas's God and prove to Thomas that Thomas is wrong and do it at a discount rate. <laughs> I said, no, Thomas. But I didn't tell him that, right? I said, no, Thomas. 10% it is. What does the book say? 10%. That's what I'm going to do. You're going to see. Your God's the same as mine. And I gave the tithe. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. I remember putting that, I wasn't a churchgoer. I went to a church just to do this. And, and I needed a ride, so Thomas gave me a ride. <laughs> and I remember putting that money into the bag and thinking to myself, that's the end of that. Nothing will come of this. Boy, did I underestimate your God. 
That week, I remember I was home and it bothered me that a firm in New York had still not paid me $4,000 worth of unpaid wages. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm never going to see that money. I filed a case with the New York State Department of Love, not the New York State Department of Labor several months ago. I've called them. They don't collect the money. They won't do anything. In fact, the New York State Department of Labor had said, we need one more thing from you. And I said, what? They said, stop calling us. <laughs> and I'd given up on it. And I remember it bothered me. I'd given this tithe, and I was waiting just for a few weeks to pass for nothing to happen for Thomas to be wrong about his Jesus. And yet at the same time, the word of God has power, and those words sounded good. And if the windows of heaven are going to open, I could see $4,000 that's owed to me. No, I want Thomas to be wrong about his God. But $4,000 is a lot of money. I want to see that money. I want Thomas to be wrong, but I want to see that money. I want to see that money. The greed in my heart won out. But you see, no matter how wicked a person is, God is still directing fish. And he directed this. Here's what happened. I remember deciding I want to see the money. But it's hopeless. I've never seen prayer answered in my life. For 25 years of Muslim, I had never seen answered prayer. Are you praying for your unsaved friends and family? Many of them have never seen the power of the living God answering prayer. It will only happen if you pray in Jesus' name. And I remember thinking, it's hopeless. I'm never going to see this money. And so here's what happened is I said, well, at least I should just make their God an offer or something, right? This is the Wall Street guy thinking, right? I should make their God an offer. And I remember overhearing a Christian say to another, when Christians want to go to war, we don't pick up a gun or a knife. We go into our closet and we pray. And I thought, well... That's where they meet their God. So I need to go into my closet. So it was in Bellevue, a studio apartment. I lived there alone. I opened the closet. There wasn't much in there because I was only planning on being here for six months. And I went in there and I knelt down and I said, I closed the door. I said, I can't believe it. This is where Christians come to pray. (laughs) How many times have I walked by a closet and I didn't know there was secretly a Christian in there praying? (laughs) I said, no matter no matter. I said, I'm here. I might as well get it over with. I said, Lord or God, whatever I'm supposed to call you. I suppose you know they owe me money. I don't think I'm ever going to see it. And New York State Department of Labor has done nothing. So if I ever see that money, I'm ready to offer you half. Is that a good deal for you? I hope so. Amen. I came out of there. The pride I was operating under, the pride, not knowing God, the God of grace, the throne of unmerited favor, that I would go in my pride before him and say, barter and wheel and deal with me as if he needs my two grand. And as if I had not taken up a promise of his word that he was going to do something. And as if there wasn't a fisherman in all this laboring who was praying. I didn't know God, but that week he made sure I did. The phone rang that week. It was the New York State Department of Labor calling me. Miracle number one. I said, yes. They said, is this Ali Farhadi? I said, yes. They said, are you at such and such address in New York, New York? I said, no, I'm no longer there. I'm in Bellevue, which is outside of Omaha, Nebraska. They said, why? I said, <laughs> I said, never mind that. Why are you calling? And they said, well, we need a current address to send you a check. I said, oh, well, how much is it? She looked at some papers and she said, 
I'll never forget it. This, it was like a light bulb moment. And I said, I've never seen this before. This must be the God of the Bible. And part of me doubted. I said to myself, but this can't be. I told the lady, I said, listen, you got the wrong case. I waited all this time and you don't have the right case. She went and looked at it and she said, look, I looked at everything. Is this your case number? I said, that's my case number. She said, is this your name? I said, yes. She said, then this is all correct. They owed you four grand. We decided to penalize them. And we said, how dare they do this? We're going to penalize them 18% interest. We're going to compound it monthly and not annually. It's been several months at 18% interest on 4,000. Your money's doubled. We just need an address. I said, here's my address. (laughs) They sent me a check for 8,000. I had worked on Wall Street. In my whole life, though, I'd never had a check this big. And it was from the hands of the living God. And by the witness, by the witness of fishermen who had turned me to Malachi. Now, what was my desire? Part of it was for Thomas to be wrong, a wicked desire. Another desire was just that I would have riches. The love of money is evil. Another wicked desire. And what did I pray? That I would give away half and God doubled it so I could keep my end and give him his. And like a typical wicked person, I kept all of it. Boy, that there is really truly no good thing that resides in the human flesh, just as the Bible promises. And so I even broke my end of the deal and bargain with God. Will God continue to work? Well, if it was dependent on us, he would have never done anything. It is the goodness of God that leads sinners to repentance. And Christ came while we were yet sinners. You see, don't be discouraged if that fish seems unworthy. That's how it ought to seem. If they're not saved, they're going to act as such. They're going to be in pride. They're going to be in wickedness. But God will still work. He's not willing that any should perish. So even though I broke my end of the deal, that was the first of about a handful of miracles that I would see over the course of two and a half years. In fact, I would fall into a pitfall. I would say, think to Thomas, I'm done with this Thomas guy. I'm not ready for this Jesus thing. But the tithe is the best investment scheme ever. (laughs) I kept tithing to try to become rich. And therein lay the pitfalls and struggles of a prosperity gospel. That we would seek the earthly riches instead of the heavenly riches. We wrestle. As Americans, we all wrestle with that. We're a very blessed nation. And so here's what would happen. I would get promoted at work. And I thought, the tithe is working getting promoted and they said Ali we're going to put you on an all-star team of stockbrokers and I said of course you are I'm the best and they said we want you to pick someone a shadow and I said okay I'm going to pick someone a shadow and then they let me think about it and I picked someone I could have picked any any one of I believe 2,000 people to shadow I had a big pool to pick from and I remember I picked this guy and he wasn't dressed particularly nice at all he didn't know Thomas I'd never seen the two of them talking they didn't even know each other And I went to his desk. It was shadow day. And I sat down. I read his name tag. Dan Ginn. says, options specialist. Do you know what his position really should have said? Youth pastor. (laughs) I had no warning. (laughs) Out of the net of Thomas and into the net of Dan. Do we see that pattern in the scriptures? Where did we leave off? They immediately left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. If a fish swims out of your net and swims away, pray and even smile if you have the faith. God knows many more fishermen. And the fish streams downstream. And, and to quote what I heard a man of God say today, the fish can, can swim fast, but not fast enough before it'll run into another net. I ran into the net of Dan, a student of the word. I had doubts about the word of God being true. Many Muslims do. They believe it's been corrupted, though it hasn't. Well, here's how the Lord led Dan. Dan would invite me to a Bible study. I'd be reluctant several times, but eventually I would go. I would sit down, and now I'm in the Bible study, an angry Muslim. Why angry? Why angry? Because your God answers prayer. That was cause for jealousy, man. That was serious God for, you know, cause for jealousy. I sat in that Bible study angry that the Christian God answers prayer like that. And I'd never seen it in my whole life for 25 years in the name of Allah. So I sat there angrily and I had doubts that the Bible was true and I had questions. And I wouldn't even ask the questions. And here's how the Holy Spirit led. This man would ask a question and this man would answer. And I said, oh, that was a good question. I had that question. And that was a great answer. And this person would ask a question and this... A sister would answer it. And this sister would ask a question. And this gentleman would answer it. I said, man, how'd they know all my questions? How did they know all my questions? And I remember leaving after a few weeks, going to that Bible study. I said, I know it. I'm the last one there. I know what these Christians, they're, they're conniving and they're doing something. They're, they're waiting. They're saying, before he comes, when he comes, you ask this, you ask that, you answer this, you answer that. Everybody got it? Okay, here he comes. I was convinced I confronted Dan about it. I said, Dan, you can admit to me what you guys are doing in that Bible study. He said, what are you talking about? You sit there quietly, you don't say anything. And I explained the whole thing to him and he's laughed. He said, that's what we call the leading of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God is good. And I had every question answered. In fact, just to drive the final nail in that coffin of doubt, they took up a final topic in that Bible study. One person said, we should study apologetics. Another person said, yeah, I feel like apologetics too. And I said, wow, these Christians want to learn how to say sorry. <laughs> they took up apologetics and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe the evidences that I've heard. That the Bible is used as a blueprint for archaeological digs. Where is that lost city? No one knows. Oh, the Bible knows where it is. And they found things like this, that unbelievers believe in the credibility of the manuscripts of the New Testament Every doubt I had about the word of God being true was turned over on its head. As a Muslim, as a Muslim who doubted that the word of God was true, I came to a point where I believed that everything in here was true, that kingdoms had risen and fallen, nations had been disposed and kings overthrown, but the word of God had remained unchanged. But I didn't tell anyone. Man, if fish would just speak the truth, right? But that's the divine work we're in. You go cast a fisherman. A fisherman can't see fish. The waters are murky oftentimes. And if that fish is down below a few more feet, they won't see anything. You have to cast in faith. And I didn't tell the Christians all this, what God was doing. I just continued to appear angry. 
making the Christians nervous. Who's this angry Muslim kid who comes? He's single, he's from New York, nobody really knows him. And now we hear that Dan, our brother Dan in his infinite wisdom, is taking this New Yorker out, teaching him how to hunt and shoot guns. (laughs) They were nervous. (laughs) One elder's wife said to her husband, you brought who to our house to shoot guns? It was me. But they didn't show it. They continued in the divine work as fishermen. And after a while, I avoided Dan. I avoided Thomas. I ran into the net of Dan. I avoided Dan. I ran into the net of Kevin, a born-again believer. In fact, the, the managers at my job, they seated him to my left in my, next to my cubicle. Man, a soundboard for the gospel seated to my left every day. Are you speaking truth at your workplace? And this continued. After two and a half years, I said to myself, that's it. Everyone in Nebraska is secretly a Christian. (laughs) You just have to talk to them and you find out. Dan, Thomas, Kevin, none of these people knew each other. There are other people, only two of whom I can tell you knew each other. Why? Because you are partakers in a divine conspiracy. Orchestrated by your heavenly father who is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I avoided everyone two and a half years and I said, that's it, I'm avoiding everyone. I remember October 2010, I got on my Netflix. I said, I'm not going out tonight. I'm just going to watch Netflix because that's safe. And it said, suggested for Ali, the gospel of John. (laughs) That's messed up. Ali is a Muslim name. Something's wrong with Netflix. Or is it? God is in it. I put that movie on underestimating what I was watching. That it was the word of God acted out. That the children of God had shown me the love of Christ continually. That I had seen with my own eyes miracles happen in my life. I underestimated all these things. And before that movie was done, they were taking Christ and beating him. And I couldn't take it. I wept. That proud New Yorker, that proud Muslim, that proud, proud Iranian was reduced to a shred. I paused the movie. I couldn't finish. I went to my bed. I pulled out a Bible from my days with Thomas, a fisherman I'd avoided now for two years. And I opened it up. There was a sheet of paper from Dan, the other fisherman. And it said, go to Romans 10 if you're serious. And I went to Romans 10. And I read that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I said to myself, I can't do this. I'm a Muslim. I can't say Christ is Lord. But the Holy Spirit prevailed. Christ is Lord came out of my lips. My heart believed it and I was saved that night. It's going to cost you something to follow Christ. But the reward is worth it. They named me Ali Raza after two Muslim prophets. But because fishermen fished and God worked, I now preach Christ and him crucified. And God took an impossible man and saved him to encourage you in this divine work. That if you follow Christ, the outcome is miracles like you and me. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with with 
various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. Friends, the next verse, don't take it lightly. This is the result of your holy following Christ. Great multitudes followed him. From Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. It's been 2,000 years, but the command and the promise remains. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Amen. Amen. And that happened right here in our city. I mean, you know, God has so many more Muslims that he wants to, to, uh, to have swim into those nets here in our city. Can you say amen? amen. And so this morning we have the opportunity to, uh, to impact our city and to impact this team that God is uh, raising up here at Good News. Uh, and it's good news for Ishmael. And I'm going to invite our ushers to come as we prepare to receive this mission offering. Uh, and I want to say to those of you who are fishermen, and all of us are called to be fishermen, I want to say that uh, I want to echo what Ali shared about, you know, sometimes you can't see the fish beneath the surface. You know, I've, I've never been out fishing where the fish are just floating on top and you scoop them up with your nets. A lot of times you can't see where the fish are. You can't see what's going on beneath the surface, right? You don't know what, what kind of impact you're making, right? You don't know what kind of seeds you are planting. You know, just a simple word of encouragement or a prayer or a simple scripture or a story about Jesus like we talked about last week. The impact, the power the gospel has, right? But it's happening oftentimes beneath the surface and we can't really tell what's going on. Um... Yes, it's not my turn to preach today. You did a really good job, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to give now in this mission offering, and I want to encourage you to designate your gift uh, to Good News for Ishmael and help us reach that $25,000 goal over the next four weeks. Be as generous as you can be. We just really believe that God is, is breathing on this new outreach. It's the time to do this. God's raised up leadership uh, and now, now he's raising up resources, and we really appreciate your contribution in that. Um, and of course, you can always go to mygoodnews.church in your giving. Designate your gift to Good News um, for Ishmael. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for this powerful example of um, how your, your people and your gospel can lead a person to Christ. And we're so grateful, God, for this story today. Lord, may we learn from it. Uh, may we uh, replicate it. God, may your kingdom go forth in our city and around the world. And God, we pray that this offering today would do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give this morning. I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come. Some of you, while you're hearing Ali's story, you're thinking, wow, I can relate to his story. I was that proud farmer from Omaha, Nebraska. You know, I've got this pride in my heart, the same pride that he had in his heart, and I was resisting God. But today I am ready to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And if that's you today, I'm going to encourage you to come and let one of our prayer workers know. Just take a few minutes after this service and say, you know what? I am ready to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Let's say that together. Jesus Christ is Lord. I want you all to stand to your feet if you would. We have gathered in this place today to celebrate the good news, the gospel, and now it's time to go and spread this gospel, right? We've gathered, and now it's time to scatter and take this good news with you. Lord, I pray as we go that we would not go in the power of our flesh, we'd not go in our own strength, but God, that we would go in the power of the Spirit. God, make us bold, make us courageous, make us fearless, God. God, help us, help us to see the opportunities right in front of us to reach the nations here in Omaha. God, we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.